Mm. But the problem is that when you learn things, you can also learn the wrong things. And mm. we will still need human controls on certain levels before we are going to be there. So, in, in, in there are all kinds of factors that, for what I believe, will not destroy a lot of jobs or a lot create a lot of uh, unhappiness, but it will create a shift between people that are willing to continue to learn mm. and those that don't want to learn because people that stop learning, those mm. are the ones that are going to be left behind. Welcome to the Kingsley Grant Show, the podcast dedicated to helping you become the leader everyone loves and wants to follow. Kingsley believes his leadership paradigm, emotelligence, the art of succeeding where others failed, is the key to achieving this status. On this show, Kingsley guides you through the uncharted waters of emotional intelligence and leadership essentials, with the guarantee that upon exit, you will become more skilled in relationship management, decision-making, and job performance. Now here's your host, your coach, and your Sherpa, Kingsley Grant. Here we go, here we go, here we go. This is your boy, Kingsley Grant, sitting behind the Jamaican microphone, bringing you yet another show. And it is from the show that's been voted number three on the top 15 podcasts on emotional intelligence by Feedspot. And so I am excited that you are listening to one of the top shows right now. And I'm in the command center of the Emotelligent Leadership Institute, where I'm going to dig into the vault and get today's show so that what you've come for, you will have. So let me reach in right here and get today's show. There it is. I got it. I got it. And put it down right here. And now we can dive into today's show. And today's show is going to be a very special show. <laughs> you may have heard me mention this before because every show is a special show. It's unique. It's action-packed. It's value-rich. And especially when I have a guest on, I am really just beside myself whenever I think of the content that you will be hearing in a few seconds. Today, we have a very special guest on the show. And again, my, spe- my guests are always special because they take valuable time and come on to share with you what I believe is helpful. And I really choose carefully who I bring on this show. I, I kind of look at what I've done in the past and, and they may come on to kind of support or just to add their own take on some things I have covered, or it may be something very new, like today's show. New in the sense that I'm having a an expert, someone who really understands artificial intelligence and automation in the workplace. And I, I really can't wait to bring him on, and I want to get out of the way so that he can get started and share with you some things about what it is that you as a business leader need to know, right? Need to know about artificial intelligence and robotic process automation. How is that working in your workplace? How do you need to make it work 
uh, within your workplace. What do you need to do? What kind of conversations you need to have, and how to have good conversations about this, uh, this um, what's taking place right now in the workplace, and how do you help reduce anxiety of your people? How do you bring this conversation right up there where they can be helped, and what do you need to do? So today, without further ado, I want to get out of the way, and I want to introduce you to our guest today. So would you put your hands together, and would you help me welcome to the show, Mr. Arjen Van Birken. Thank you for joining me on the Kings of Grand Show, where leadership and emotional intelligence skills intersect. This show is for business leaders who want to know what works and what doesn't work in 21st century leadership. Today, we have a special guest on the show. His name is Arjun Van Berkham. Let me tell you a few things about Arjun, and we'll fill in the rest as we go. Arjun Van Berkham is a columnist, a columnist, a keynote speaker and motivator with an eye for innovation and disruption. He's also a visiting lecturer at, among other, Delft University of Technology. Arjun works as Chief Operations Officer at Another Monday, an intelligent automation company where he lives and breathes automation and artificial intelligence. Arjun, it's a privilege to have you on the show today. How are you doing? Yes, thank you. I'm doing very fine. And it's, of course, a pleasure being on this show as well. I really enjoy uh, this. So uh, let's get cracking and make the most out of this 45 minutes. Awesome. Looking forward to that. So where in the world is Argent today? Well, today I'm in Germany. And uh, tomorrow I will be uh, in the Netherlands. And I have no idea where I'm going to be next week. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> What's well, a great way to live? I'm glad I caught you today while you're in transit. So thank you so very much. So Arjun, one of the first questions I ask all my guests is, when you hear the word leader and or leadership, what comes to your mind? Uh, that there are too many people claiming that title. Mm. For me, leadership is um, something different than management. For me, it's about people and not about process. For me, it's about uh, attention and not about uh, numbers. And uh, for me, leadership is probably most of all one of those very few things that require true creativity. Mm. What led you, Arjen, to that place where you um, are so adamant that Leadership is about people, not about numbers per se. Can I expand a little bit more on that? Because I think I like that, and I think some leaders ought to hear that and probably why you you come to that conclusion. Well, let me first start by uh, explaining something on numbers. Um, I've, I've spent a large part of my life in corporate life, and I've learned that especially on the cost side, there isn't that much influence you have on numbers. Mm-hmm. You get uh, being held accountable for numbers, but at the end, your influence is rather limited. However, if you want to truly outperform, the biggest lever to turn on 
is to actually get your people to become more productive. And they are becoming more productive. The fastest way is because they want to be more productive, mm. because they like what they are doing. They're not doing stuff they hate doing. So when you're putting people on menial work, on stuff that actually could have been done by a machine or uh, by somebody less educated or whatever, you get dissatisfied people. And dissatisfied people perform worse. <laughs> so for me, it's not a numbers game. Mm. It's a motivation game. And for me, managers are too much in the numbers game and leaders are in the motivation game. You know, something I like what you have stated and because I think you just described, because in an old school mentality is almost like, let's make the bottom line the most important thing, which is the numbers. And the main focus tend to be on that. And, you know, that sounds to me like uh, where you describe it as an old school leader's approach to basically leadership, which it doesn't sound like that leadership does work, especially in the days of automation and and, robo and robots and so on. Is it? Am I correct? Yeah, I think I think you're correct. I think there are probably three things where humans right now can still easily outperform machines, and that's in empathy, in creativity, and in entrepreneurship. And the funny thing is, all of these threes are very hard to measure. Mm. But it's where you can make the real difference. Because a machine is a zero or a one, so it doesn't feel empathy. Um, if you look at it from, a, from that perspective, if you look at creativity, an artificial intelligence can make the second Van Gogh, but it will never make the first Van Gogh. Mm. And if you talk about entrepreneurship, and when a machine is taking a risk, it's taking a calculated risk. And we all know that humans take risks and odds that are never the best odds, but then they still succeed. So that means that the 0.1% chance, which computer will never take, is something a human can take and be tremendously successful and create a, something truly fabulous. Mm. You know, I, I really like that because I, it's very rare do we have that kind of explanation given, especially in the days, uh, in, in our, you know, today's uh, world where the, the, the emphasis and the concern is placed on, you know, machine and uh, taking away the people out of the, the equation. But what I'm hearing you're saying is that that is not really the... Um, well, let me ask you, when you hear that and people concerned so much about that, what's your take on that? Well, I would like to bring one of my largest clients. Uh, they have automated over 3,000 FTEs together with us in the space of like two years' time. They decided to fire nobody, but they kicked out one very important KPI out of their customer care which was the call resolution time. So in the old ways, um, customer service agents needed to wrap up the call as quickly as possible because that was part of their KPI. But by taking out work and making their work much more efficient, we could kill the KPI call resolution time. And in that sense, they started steering on net promoter score. Because at the end of the day, um, there is not going to be much competition on product leadership or on 
on the price because those two are with automation easily copyable. However, there is a significant benefit to be realized for having a customer intimate strategy. And if you free up resources, you can actually run a very successful customer intimacy strategy. You know, I really like that because I think that kind of answers and segue into the thought process of people worried about that the jobs will be taken away. And I think I read one of you, you know, which I really love enjoying. I enjoy, by the way, your tweets and I follow you there. And I, you know, of course, retweet some of those and I really dig into some of those articles. So I appreciate that. Thank you so much for, you know, the educational process that I'm getting through through your lens. So thank you. Um, but I think one of the things I, I read once in one of your tweets and an article you tweeted was about how the... The concern is that automation, uh, AI, and so on will take away about 1.8 million, um, 1.8 million jobs. But then the the reverse side was it will create 2.3 million jobs. And so I'm wondering how is that possible? Because people don't, you know, people are not having that conversation, especially human resources with their people, to kind of steady and calm their nerves. I mean, I'm not hearing that conversation taking place. Well, the interesting thing is is that most people look at automation as just one part of the total economic mix. But there are two other vital trends um, that are actually driving uh, labor right now. The first one is the fact that everywhere we have aging populations, and aging populations require, even if you automate, a much higher amount of uh, people actually helping the elderly. Mm. So there's going to be growth in that sector as well uh, because of increasing welfare and also because of increasing age levels. The other one is, is, is that we see that the leisure business is growing extremely rapidly because people have more spare time and they need to spend it somewhere. Mm. So the hospitality business is actually exploding all over the place. Mm. Now, the other thing is that if you do automation, um, it means that certain elements and certain processes which are currently not being served or even products that are not there are coming into place. So the sheer number of potential products is rising, which will require product owners, which will require marketing, which will require customer care. Um, so it's, it's kind of like um, um, a growing mechanism. And it has nothing to do with a circular or a non-circular economy. Because even in a circular economy, there will be more emphasis on the human interaction. Mm. That's what I, firm, what I firmly believe. Mm. And that's next to the fact that automation requires also people to run the automation. Because when we talk about AI, and let's be honest, AI is usually uh, a lot of a marketing frame. Because real artificial intelligence, like generic artificial intelligence, doesn't exist. But what does exist is really smart learning machines. Mm. But the problem is that when you learn things, you can also learn the wrong things. And mm. we will still need human controls on certain levels before we are going to be there. So in, in, in there are all kinds of factors that, for what I believe, will not destroy a lot of jobs or a lot create a lot of uh, unhappiness, but it will create a shift between people that are willing to continue to learn mm -hmm. and those that don't want to learn because people that stop learning, those mm -hmm. are the ones that are going to be left behind. 
You know, um, <laughs> my mind is just spinning right here because you, I, I saw something that really you helped me when I was reading this article about you had posted on Twitter that helped me to kind of um, get a, a, a picture and understanding of this age we're living in. And I think it was about, you know, when there was at one time when we had all the, you know, the typewriter and the, all this paper and writing and pen and so on. And when that was trans, when people were transitioning from that to more, a little, a little more automated process, there was an outcry. How are we going to do, how are we going to do X, Y, Z? And we, how are we going to manage? And, you know, these things are taking away our jobs. But then everything kind of um, realized it did not. It created more opportunities. When I read that, I'm thinking, yeah, it's like that because anything new being, being injected and interrupting what we know so you know it's normal for us it becomes kind of scary and i think people are reacting around what they just don't know and what we don't know fears us cause uh, causes fear for us but that's something we see in, in in all elements if we look at the current political time frame a lot is being driven by fear mm. a lot is being driven by misinformation um and that's that's one of the issues we we have to deal with the ethical side of leadership and that's something i didn't mention in my intro but it's um you kind of almost have a, a moral responsibility as well and it's not moral in the uh, capital letters uh, written but it's about having uh, your own internal moral compass and have a look at it once in a while mm-hmm. and it's vital uh, for our society to develop further because it's become so small. Everything that's done today in China will also be known today in Europe and vice versa. Mm. Um, so that means that in such a small world, yeah, we will definitely lead much more people that have the moral and ethical norms to actually make sure that we as a society don't go, um, let's call it morally bankrupt. Mm. You know, and, and that is what a machine um, doesn't have, that moral compass, because no matter what it is, it's still a machine. As you said, it can also get bad information. So, um, Arjun, here's what I, I'm, um, I hear often. And, and, you know, when I talk to people, especially leaders who see this becoming, you know, they don't. They don't understand as much and they, uh, their people are kind of um, left in the dark when they see they're bringing in, for example, the robotic process automation, which I think you talk about a little bit more than... By the way, let me just ask this question for the listener. When they, You mentioned about you know, RPA, which is robotic process automation versus AI. What's the difference between those two things? Because I think our listener will hear or experience that and may not know the difference. So can I ask you to kind of explain that briefly and then I ask my other other question? Yeah, I will ask to answer the difference. Uh, robotic process automation is kind of like mimicking human behavior uh, on, a, on a desktop and a screen with a mouse and a keyboard. So actually, it's kind of like a massive use of scripts. Mm. Artificial intelligence is much more about looking what people do and then have the machine decide on the next time event X happens, it should take action Y. Mm. So AI in that sense, or machine learning, which is, I think, a better phrase, um, is much more technology advanced than RPA. RPA is not a new technology. I mean, 
the 25 or 30 years ago when I was studying at the university, we already built scripts. Mm. It's now entering, however, a maturity phase where it becomes easy to manage large amounts of scripts. Mm. But there's a significant difference between running scripts and doing something with machine learning or artificial intelligence. And and in the case of even the machine learning, Arjun, I want to ask, because I was asked, because I kind of um, spoke briefly on this, you know, of course, with my brief in, uh, amount of knowledge, where that even in the the um, automation process or even the AI process, is it possible that those machines will be able to multitask or are they programmed to pretty much do a single task at a time? No, if you, for instance, look at our technology, um, we have created it in such a way that a robot can do process one and then after that do process number two and then do process number 20,342. <laughs> they can be different processes. They can be different stuff. It's, uh, it's no longer needed that one computer is actually one robot. Um, you should say that a, a computer has become kind of like an FTE. And, and, and sometimes they do job A and sometimes they do job B and sometimes they do job C. Mm. It's, it's not relevant to have one machine just do one thing. Mm. Mm. Okay, that makes that's like, that, thank you for, for um, clearing that up for me. So my follow-up question I was going to say earlier, you made a statement that automation will simply act as a supporter and integrator. And I was when I was looking at that, I'm thinking, okay, I can understand the supporter part, but um, how is that for a leader who's listening? Will, what might be a comforting aspect of automation and you know machinery and so on when your statement is automation was simply at, how could he or she use that to create a conversation to somehow stabilize their work their workforce, their people? Yeah, well, there was an, another question in your previous question, which we didn't answer. I would like to address first. Please. Uh, it's about how leaders um, uh, should think about automation and the way things are moving. Yes. And the code word in answering actually your last question and that question from the question before is called diversity. Mm. And it's not diversity as in gender or ethnicity or sexual orientation. The biggest um, uh, diversity gap that leaders should use today is that of age. The current generation coming from universities or uh, having a technology experience are so totally different in their tech savviness. And they think in such a different way than, let's say, uh, old school leaders, which mm. are currently the ones holding most of the executive positions, mm. that one of the biggest issues is that it's simply too difficult to understand. Mm. And therefore, you need one, uh, uh, have this diversity uh, solved. So get as quickly as possible some uh, young people that are extremely automation savvy into higher ranking positions. The second thing is, is that there is a difference between um, digital transformation and digital transformation. Let me explain that. Mm -hmm. um, there are those out there that say, well, we are doing uh, it in a certain way, a process, 
and now we are going to automate that process. For me, that is kind of like doing what you always did, but doing it a bit better. Mm. Now, the real interesting part is how can you actually become a true digital company, which might mean you might be doing things not at all anymore, but in a totally different way. And then that's then the third horizon above that is um, maybe we should not be doing what we do today anyhow, but do something completely different. Mm. And you see that actually the first part, digitizing what we are already doing, is what a lot of organizations are doing. But then in that case, they're not harvesting the true benefits of what automation can bring you. So you need to jump to this second and this third horizon. And leaders need to be aware that the uh, pitfall of the ROI is in focusing on getting revenues fast, mm. which is, of course, okay, but it's not value creation. And if you want to drive value creation from your automation strategy, you should really be looking at the second and the third plateau, which I just mentioned, uh, and taking it on to an, to a next level, which is a very difficult discussion to have mm. because especially in two-tier board organizations, you see that the uh, non-executive board is usually even older than yeah. the executive board. Mm. So in a sense, they could get they could stand in the way uh, without realizing it of the, the the company becoming actually you know um, uh, even advancing and taking advantage of these opportunities to create more revenue because of simply their lack of understanding or lack of openness to this kind of conversation. Yes. I believe that a strategy of maximizing profit is not going to be uh, a strategy that will drive for long-term sustainable organizations. Uh, if we look at the economic figures on the average age of companies before they either get bankrupt or get sold, it's beginning less and it's beginning less and less and less. So it's the turnover is even in organizations is going faster and faster. Mm. And the funny thing is, this has to do with the fact that we are now uh, spending a lot of our efforts in this, what I call, uh, economic pumping model, mm -hmm. uh, which it goes from unicorn to unicorn to unicorn, mm -hmm. and that's not going to be sustainable. Mm -hmm. You're right. I, you know, I, I, I'm smiling because you're so, I like the way the vision, the, the, the um, visual you created just now from unicorn to unicorn to unicorn. And I think that is so, you know, people are thinking they can just keep on doing that. But at some point, like you said, sustaining that is very, very, very difficult, if not almost impossible. Um, so here, my, my question that came out of what you were describing, Arjun, which I'm so thankful that you're actually kind of breaking this down for us to understand. And for, you know, I'm asking some of those, those questions myself because I want to better understand when I talk to leaders who truly want to see uh, growth and not even sure what direction to take. And um, one of the things you talk about, because this is a, a, a very heavy conversation to have, or it may just be that the person doesn't understand and so they just don't bring it up. But you also mentioned that this is... Um, uh, Organizations should deal with these questions more, much more actively. How would you suggest they bring this up within their company and not create 
some I mean, more anxiety or, you know, that may already exist in this whole um, space? Well, I believe that honesty is one of the big words here. Mm. If I look at uh, large clients uh, of mine, those that are successful are actually the ones that involve the employees from day zero. Not from day one, but from day zero. Mm. And what I mean with that is that once you start thinking about automation, robotics, AI, or whatever, don't do it hidden somewhere, because people know you're doing it anyway. <laughs> uh, be very transparent. Be very transparent about it and involve your employees because what I see right now with one of my larger customers is actually the employees are bringing the suggestions on we should automate this and this process. Mm. And the funny thing is, employees know way better <laughs> than any kind of data scientist will tell you which process to automate because they are the ones experiencing it every day. And if you, we take a step back and go to the old Lean Six Sigma model, where we did the um, brown paper sessions and then asked people what should we change first, it's not that different from that. Mm. If you go to people and say, what are the two things you will never tell about our organization at any birthday, and they tell you that, you automatically know which two processes you need to attack first. It's I, as simple as that. If, I love if that. If you do good exit interviews... People will tell you if they're honest why they are leaving. Yes, sometimes it's for the money, but a lot of the times it's because they get a cooler job somewhere else. Learn from it. Mm. You know, I, I think that's a very important point you're making. And I think what I like what you said, Arjun, is that, you know, sometimes the anxiety is probably more the leaders than the actual the, the, the employees because they are very, some of them are very tech savvy, very up to date, and they have an idea and wondering, probably wondering, why is it that we're not having this conversation? And they probably are, are holding their breath and would exhale, should in case the leaders bring that up and have that honest and i love what you said that is the honesty and the transparency because why not why not but i think some leaders are concerned and worried that they might look bad because they don't they either don't know or feel threatened or insecure but sometimes is that micromanaging they want to be in control and i'm wondering if that if you come across that as part of the possible reason why they don't necessarily even pursue this conversation Yes, um, I so love the word micromanagement because micromanagement is probably the thing that kills job satisfaction the quickest. Mm. Um, because what did you do yesterday at one minute after 11 is most surely one of the most disappointing questions you can get from any leader or manager. Mm. So um, step one is, yes, I have seen organizations that didn't have this conversation. And usually their automation processes abysmally fail, or they even get uh, into uh, discussions over here in Europe, for instance, with worker councils or trade unions. Um, they get high defection rates. Um, so in the end, if you as a leader are unwilling to address this issue, yeah, um, it's time to move on mm. because it. People are not stupid. They read the papers. They see all this stuff on the Internet. There's lots of documentaries about it. 
they will know what is happening. They will also know that if they work at an organization which is in competition and they are not putting any effort in this field, they know that they're going to be out of a job because the company is going to be broke. Mm-hmm. So if people want a future and you as a leader feel a responsibility for that future within your organization, yeah, start talking about it. And the best way of approaching this is by actually um, starting to have the conversations on the shop floor. So that means that, and that's another thing I think leaders do, is get out of your corner office mm. and be between people mm. and have an open conversation on stuff. And the funny thing is, once you as a leader say, I have no idea what automation is going to bring us, but we know one thing for sure, if we're not going to do something, we will not survive. Mm. So let's start trying to do stuff, learn things, fail, fail abysmally sometimes. Mm. Um, we'll create a culture where people will be putting their feet forward to actually drive this change. Mm. And as I always say, any automation project is in effect almost always also a culture project. Hmm. I mean, how, how so? Because, um, let me give you an example. Um, a lot of organizations um, think they have performance management, but at the end of the day, actually, their performance management is not up to par. And the things they are measuring are not the things that will add the most value. So if you start doing automation and you start doing it smartly, you start to talk about different elements. As I said before, this is large client of ours. Uh, They used to only talk, talk about costs. And their whole focus was in the organization Let's do everything we do as cheaply as possible. Mm-hmm. Right now, everything in their organization are about, are our clients happy? Mm-hmm. Which is a totally different performance mm-hmm. metrics. Mm-hmm. And that's a, that's a change of culture. Mm-hmm. It's um, a change in where you actually ask um, people what could be improved. And you actually listen to them. And you spend much more time on opening up of that. But it's a very, very difficult journey. (laughs) And it requires a lot of vulnerabilities. And it requires the ability to make a lot of mistakes along the way. And every time you get hit, you fall down and you stand up again. Mm. And you celebrate the fact that you stood up again and then go for the next hit. And there will be a moment when you find, like, like say, uh, the pot of gold. Mm And then you can all celebrate together again. But if you don't embrace this culture of learn quickly, fail fast, learn again, fail again, and continue to grow and learn, yeah, then you're not going to get there. And let's be honest, how many organizations truly have a budget in there for learning, mm. like continuous learning? I don't find that many of them. Mm. You know, you're touching on some very good points. I mean, I, I really just um, <laughs> I appreciate the very direct and very clear, uh, uh, clear way that you are talking about this, um, Arjun. Because I can hear a leader out there thinking to him or herself right now that possibly, in a sense, what you've just said, kind of, if they really subscribe and I mean, embrace that, embrace that, 
they really could be a leader that their employees look up to and we want to follow because number one, they're showing their vulnerability. You know, I, my most recent book I wrote, I call the emo intelligent leader succeed where others failed. And I think this really captures this so well that a leader who's willing to show a vulnerability, um, you know, is willing to be honest, willing to, even say, hey, let's learn this together. We just don't know yet, but let's learn this together. Is more apt to have their best people stay with them, but also would probably encourage under performers to want to step up their game. And at the end result is a win-win for everyone. Exactly. You're, you're, you're spot on. Mm. You're spot on. And I know we have our time here. Um, Arjun, I want, Arjun, I want to ask this question because I think this has been one of those big ones that I think I hear so many times and people kind of shoot down, well, not people, but some people shoot down sometimes and especially some leaders, you know, I'm, I'm giving a talk that's coming up this next couple of days from this recording. And, you know, the leaders that I'm talking to are, are saying, okay, things are working so well, but I'm thinking, I said, it could work better. My argument, it could work better. And the angle from which I'm coming is the more people skills where emotional intelligence, uh, and you mentioned about empathy, have a chance to even take them from beyond where they are to where they could be. Is that what you were kind of um, leaning towards when you say that the machines do not have that, but the people have that and they can develop that, which will help leaders, I, leaders to become better at what they do? Yes, but it, it, it starts with the willingness mm. to open yourself up to that. If you look at the um, classical, let's call it business MBA type programs, mm -hmm. um, there's a lot of emphasis on things like cost calculating, uh, discount cash flows, and you know what. Mm -hmm. But those are things uh, that are only there on the monetary side. Now, if you look at um, people, do they really get motivated by money? Yes, a group definitely. Is that the largest group? No. Is Do you only want uh, people in there that actually do things for their bonus? Well, probably not. You want intrinsic motivation mm. and not extrinsic motivation. So if you want intrinsically motivated people, you should start by intrinsically motivating them which means real attention, and attention is not a CEO having a video blog every once in a while. <laughs> That's not attention. Attention is, yeah, you're, you're laughing, but you know exactly what I mean. Yeah, I so do, I do. window dressing out there. There's so much window dressing out there. We've yes. read a book, we need to be empathic, let's do a video blog. No. What's really empathic is um, go to the shop floor, talk mm. to people, Really talk to people. Have your secretary find out who in the company has a, is, is in a shitty or lousy situation and help them uh, win uh, and help them. Mm -hmm. Because that's what you as a leader can do. You have the power to actually help people, which is a totally different power than putting fear into people. Mm -hmm. And micromanagement, and this might sound like a Yoda, micromanagement drives fear. Yeah. The more you control people, the less they will think, the less they will uh, be open for suggestions or bringing suggestions. And that's why I so believe in 
the Agile framework, because Agile is not about total freedom, do whatever you like. No, Agile is about, I trust you to do your utmost to perform and to openly report on your performance. Mm. Wow. I mean, Arden, we, we could talk all day. I mean, you are really hitting some very, very, um, just a very hot, you know, hot buttons that I think that those who are listening possibly have not heard in a context like this. And and I, I'm appreciative of the fact that you're talking about things that will help people, even in the age of, you know, AI and, and RPAs and all those, still succeed and find a way to, uh, and I'll go back to the company you described earlier, one of your clients that have, you know, fired nobody, but found a way to become productive and successful, I think that is really a great case study to show that it does work and you can do this as well. So as we're coming down towards our, our end here, Arjun, I wanted to find out about what are some things you're working on that our audience may want to kind of tap into and also where's the best place for them to follow. I mean, I know I follow you on Twitter a lot and I don't know where's the best place for them to... to um, so it's still question number one. What are you working on too that you might want our audience to know about? And um, what's the best place to connect with you? Well, the one thing I'm currently talking and thinking about has to do with how do we really manage large ecosystems? Mm -hmm. Uh, Because we are entering an age of specialization, combined with an age of automation, by the way. And that means that every company will start to have larger and larger and larger ecosystems of all kinds of suppliers uh, that are doing stuff. So I'm currently working on how, on stuff on how can you really manage these large and complex ecosystems. That's one. That's the thing I'm currently working on from a more academic perspective. On a more business perspective, I'm currently uh, working with a uh, very large uh, company uh, in the uh, automotive business, let's call it like that, uh, to actually see if we can use automation uh, to bring uh, communication uh, between vehicles to another level. Mm. Because if you want to have autonomous driving, you can have autonomous driving by having a lot of network power and going directly from one car to the network. But if cars would talk together, mm-hmm. uh, what would that help in, uh, uh, in, 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 for instance, especially uh, convoying uh, on highways? And yeah. to give you an example why that's important, uh, if I have uh, freight trucks and I have them drive like 30 centimeters uh, distance between each another, the fifth car will already use 30% less um, uh, fuel because of the wind tunnel effect. Mm. And that is only going to work if these vehicles communicate with each other so fast that if something happens in the first, that there will not be a chain reaction Mm. and a chain collision. And that's actually one of the things I really find uh, interesting to see if we can get that to work. (laughs) I love that. <laughs> and then, and then, and then on follow, um, uh, I'm always open for a chat in the sense that yes, you can you can find me on Twitter, send me a direct message or whatever. And if you really want to reach out and have a prolonged uh, conversation, LinkedIn is also, of course, also a very powerful uh, 
uh, network tool, and I really believe in the power of sharing. So whenever people ask me a question, I always try to respond uh, because I believe that from a business sense, uh, the age of hoarding knowledge has passed. It's now the age of sharing, which means that whenever people ask you a question that is in some way, somewhere, somewhat sensible, uh, uh, you should always try your utmost to, to answer that. And yes, that might lead to a lot of questions, but in the end, it will also lead you to good business. Wow, Arden, I am I'm so thankful that you have uh, you just don't say what you're saying, but you also have lived up to that because here we are today doing this interview, which is so much um, you know appreciative, and that you took the time out of your busy schedule to do this for you know that my audience who I've, I there's no question in my mind going to benefit totally from this, but also that they realize there's someone who understand this process. And if there's a business listening out there in a company that uh, there's someone listening that represent, I believe that, as you said before, B2B is greatly um, enhanced when we have this conversation and hit these um, hot button topics head on. So you have done a great job. And I really appreciate taking the time to bring to my audience this great, um, I think, very, very important information very necessary and um i, I want to say thank you for, for doing that and um i much appreciate it it's a pleasure it's a pleasure thank you very much for having me on this show and there you have it my friend oh wow it, it was like a fire hose the things that arjen shared as a coo a person who is right smack in the middle of all of this who is a an innovator, who is actually an expert. I mean, what better person could you have had to talk about these topics? And not only that, but give you, you valuable information, what you can do to make a difference in your workplace. I mean, to people who are, you know, to reduce their anxiety, to really, you know, get people on board and to realize that they can just tweak some things and with some new training become a very important part in these changes that are taking place, right? So I, I hope you get as much value as I did. And I would I would encourage you to make sure you share this podcast episode with another person that you know who might need to hear about what's happening in the changing world, changing workplace with automation, artificial intelligence, training, the need for the workers, what might need a lot more in the near future. All of that, I, I hope you, your takeaway is like mine. And sharing it would be, I think, one of the things that you could do to help someone else that you know get value from the show like you did, like I did. And so, my friend, thank you so very much for taking the time to to listen. Make sure you connect with Arjen and get and follow him. And like I said, on Twitter is where I get a lot of information. I learn a lot from him on Twitter because he's always posting some great articles and very helpful. So you would really be enriched to follow him on Twitter. And um, if you need to connect with him, make sure you do so. So I want to say again, thank you so much for taking the time to listen. And if you are on LinkedIn, would you join me on LinkedIn? Let's have a conversation there. Connect with me. 
And uh, you will see some of my posts there as well. I would love to see what you're doing. And maybe we can collaboratively do some things together. Who knows, right? But let's connect on LinkedIn or on Twitter. But I would prefer LinkedIn. That's the platform that I'm really spending more time on and doing conversation with people, do life with people, engaging with them, learning from them. They're learning from me. And so I would encourage you to be a part of that platform if you are serious about really networking and working with others like-minded and learning from other people as well. Because there's so great, so much great things posted, being posted there. I, I just can't emphasize that enough. But make sure you're following me once you join on LinkedIn and talk to me. Let me know it's you, right? You're listening to the podcast. And so we have some great things that are coming up in the future. But I would love to engage with you on LinkedIn when I have the post there. You can share your thoughts about this show right there in the in the comment section of the LinkedIn post. So make sure you, you do that. And to do that, I go to LinkedIn and just type in Kingsley Grant, K-I-N-G-S-L-E-Y-G-R-A-N-T. Just search for me there and you'll, you'll see me, connect with me, and let's just do life together. Okay? So thank you so much again for taking the time to listen. And my friend, remember this, you are one skill away, one skill away from your best hope. And today... We hope you're brought closer because of what it is you've heard on this show. So, my friend, let's now do what we do together, and that is to close things out by putting the show back into the vault. Lock this away. So here we go. So help me do that right now. Here we go. There it is. Now that this show is put away in the vault, I can safely exit the command center of the Immortelligent Leadership Institute and rejoin with those on in the world, so to speak, right? <laughs> I love to say it that way. But anyway, it's just great to, re- to put aside this, this show and lock it away. And now let's move on. So with that said, my friend, you know the drill. If you've been around for some time, you know the drill. With that said, peace out. God bless. And I'll see you on the flip side. Yeah.